This is Shi'ar Jashub, coming from Shi'ar Jashub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be continuing a sermon by my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, on celibacy versus marriage in ministry, part of his series on heavenly authority. Pastor has examined from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's discussion on Christian marriage, as well as the benefits of remaining unmarried, which was a specific gift God had given to Paul. And when we left off, he went back to chapter 6, where the apostles' instructions are very clear that the believer must flee sexual immorality. Before we rejoin the audio at that point, one note on the sermon discussion that follows. Pastor Greg will describe conversations that he had many times with Catholic people from older generations who mistakenly perceived the sexual union, even in marriage, as somehow unholy. That is not the position of the Catholic Church itself, which places marriage as one of the holy sacraments. However, the theme that only the celibate can serve in higher ministry and the implied special holiness and super-spirituality of those who abstain from marriage have helped to create this wrong impression. Let's rejoin Pastor Greg. He says, flee sexual immorality. He sins against his own body. Or do you not know, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, and therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Up above in verse 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. If Jesus is living inside of you, you're unifying your spirit and body with that person. Christ is in you, and that person is an immoral person, and you're an immoral person. What position you've placed the gospel? What position you've placed the Holy Spirit, the grieve the Holy Spirit inside of you? Christ is in us, and so he understands the importance of the purity of the body as being servants of God. But you know, in church history, that truth, that's the truth, gets twisted into a falsehood. And I've talked to many people, especially Catholics, who have this image, and old-time Catholics, that all sex is immoral. That every time a man and a woman comes together, it's almost like a concession by God uh, in the marriage relationship, but that it's a part of the fall. And that's not true, right? Because he tells them before the fall, be what? Be fruitful and multiply, right? That's in Genesis. That's before the fall. But there are many old-time Catholics that have this, this misconception that sex is automatically impure. Now, obviously, in this case, what we just read, it is, right? And because it's impure, if you want your religious leaders to be pure, what do they have to do? They have to be celibate, right? You see how the logic goes from false teaching? 
But what does it say in the scriptures? Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 clearly says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. It's fornication and adultery that's immoral. But the marriage relationship, who created it, by the way? I mean, God created sex. There was a reason for it. It wasn't for fornication. It wasn't for adultery. It was marriage is honorable. It was for marriage. He created Adam and he created Eve. None of us came up with this. He came up with it, right? Marriage is honorable among all in the bed on the file. Look what Paul says himself. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So now there's more to marriage than just being kept from the immorality of the world. And Paul knows it, right? He mentions that in 1 Corinthians 7, but he knows it. Obviously, he appreciates the gift God has given him and those that have that gift, but he knows the whole story, and he tells you here in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Again, the two being one. He who loves his wife loves himself. And he who destroys himself with harlots hates himself, right? That's what we got from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Right? He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And he goes on to show that God sets the husband and wife up as a symbol of the love relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage is honorable. Marriage is holy. So when they take from 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and go to a point that was never intended to make every sexual relationship unholy, when there is one that is holy, clearly given in the scriptures, marriage. They've gone off on a tangent. And then their doctrine proceeds from that. And 1 Corinthians 7 has been used to develop a whole authority system, structure, religious orders, religious groups that put themselves off to the side based upon vows of lifelong celibacy. And I don't think Paul ever attended that, nor does God approve that. Uh, and they force celibacy on positions of authority, which can be very, very, very dangerous because you can't tell God what gift you get. And a lifetime commitment without a gift is going to lead to what? Perversion, right? Because the man is stuck in that position. He's taken the vow. Now he can't marry, but he doesn't necessarily have the gift. Or maybe he had the gift for a time, right? God gave it for a time. You know, Philip was there alone on that road, but then later on we read about Philip married with daughters. Sometimes it's a gift given for a time. All young Christians need that gift for a time until they meet the right person, right? But it's for a time and a season. But he's trapped, and he still has all the same urges 
And now the demons have a place to really do a great job. They can play with the mind. And you see then the abominations that come out of it, that perversions come out that Paul would say would be unthinkable, unspeakable. And the media loves to place it on, on the news. Going back to this idea that the only thing that's holy is celibacy. Look at Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. It sounds like God doesn't want to hear them anymore. And you say, for what reason? And he answers, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. And then he goes on to describe the importance of the wife of his youth. Yet she is your companion, your wife by covenant, by covenant, by contract. She is your companion, your wife by covenant. Verse 15, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? There's actually the working of the Holy Spirit in this companionship, this contract, and why he seeks godly offspring, and it brings godly offspring. It's a holy relation, a covenant, a companionship that the Spirit of God is in that brings out godly offsprings. This is not a concession. This is a planned purpose of God. He says, therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence. It's cutting a person in half. It's tearing them apart, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Do not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. She is your companion, your wife by covenant. He makes them one having a remnant of the spirit that they should have. He seeks godly offspring. That's how important marriage is. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, you look at verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then it says uh, down in verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. He made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, cling, cleave, it says literally in the Hebrew, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It is not good that the man be alone. So there's a holiness to the marriage relationship. Um, now, if you look in Matthew chapter 19, we learn a little bit more about celibacy as it concerns the kingdom of God. In Matthew 19, in verse 1, he's departed from Galilee. He comes into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. There are great multitudes that follow him. He heals them there, and the Pharisees also come to him. 
but they're not coming to see the tremendous miracles. They're coming to test him, saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And they go on to say, well, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? And Jesus says to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who was divorced commits adultery. And his disciples said to him, if such is the case, you mean I can't divorce her for just any reason? It's that serious? I can't just divorce her? For, I can't get out of this? I, it, I'm stuck? If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. If that's going to be the way it is, that I can't get out of this, Better not to marry, better to be unmarried. And Jesus clarifies what that celibacy means. He says, says to them, all cannot accept the same. Lewis, it's a saying that some can accept, but only those to whom it has been given. Again, the gift, God gives the gift. Our Sunday message is live streamed on the Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle YouTube channel at 10.30 a.m. Pastor Greg is currently teaching on last day events, and you will find a link to the channel on our website at shiarjashub.org.